Bible. I'd like you to stand with me out of respect for the Word of God. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 15. Very odd scripture. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. The grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. From a very uh, intriguing different, uncommon text, I want to preach this message. Wake up the barren womb. Wake up the barren womb. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the presence of God that I have felt all week, Lord, as you have poured into my spirit, Lord. And I'm asking that in the next few moments, Lord, as I pour out just a little bit of what you've been pouring into me, God, that you let it overflow in this place. Let it impact us. Let it touch us. Let it change us, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking you, Lord, to provoke this church. I'm asking you, Lord, to stir us up in the anointing morning uh, of the Holy Ghost, Lord, let your spirit have its way in this house. Uh, in Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. I will ask this of you. I will not be real long tonight, but I will ask that you give me your attention. This Don't, don't go over your grocery list. Don't balance your checkbook. Don't have a conversation with your spouse. Give me your attention for the next few moments. I have a word from the throne of heaven. Amen? So the proverb is very uh, unusual for our culture. It doesn't really make sense to us. The, the, the proverb is about, I'll tell you right away what it's about. It's about uh, uh, greediness. And it is, it, it's an image that the, the horse leech has two daughters. And it's an idiom that was used in the Hebrew language to uh, refer to greedy people. And so it was an insult you might hurl at someone telling them, you're a horse leech. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's somebody who's a taker but not a giver. They're, 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 they, they're always wanting. They're always consuming. But they're never really putting anything back in. And, and the, the proverb writer is railing against this spirit of greed. And so he says that the horse leech has two daughters. Now what that is, is a leech has on, on the, the little suckers that suck blood. There's one on each end. I didn't know that. There's one on each end of the leech. And that's the two daughters. And they suck the blood. So the leech doesn't just connect to you in one point. It connects to you in two points. And, and those two points, the, the, the proverb writer says, they cry out, give, give. What he's saying is they're, they're constantly crying for more. They're never satisfied. There's not enough blood to make them happy. Amen? Then he goes on to talk about other greedy things. He's driving home his point, and he says that there are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things that say not it is enough. Now, 
It's another idiom to say there are three things, yea, there are four. It's, what he's saying is the list is not comprehensive. This is not a list of all the things in the world that are greedy. There are a lot of things that are greedy. There are, here's three, oh, wait a minute, no, the real, here's four. It's just, it's a way of, 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 of indicating to the listener or to the reader that this is not a comprehensive list, but these are some examples to illustrate the kind of greed that the horse leech has. Amen? And the writer mentions four examples in this interesting list. The last one that he mentions is fire. And I'll start there because it's probably the easiest to understand. Fire is never satisfied. It never says it is enough. It never stops and says no more fuel needed. The fire is all consuming. Whatever is in its path, it's going to destroy. Whatever it can reach, it's going to consume it. There's never a point where the fire stops and says, you know what? I've had enough for today. I think I'll just die right here. That never happens. Amen. The fire will burn until there's no more fuel. It's greedy. It's unrelenting. It has an insatiable appetite. It's constantly striving for more. It's crying out, give me more, give me more, give me more. The second one that he mentions, or the second to last, is the earth. And we can understand that one pretty well, too. He's talking about the culture that he lives in is in the Middle East. And and it's a desert. It's a wilderness. And what he said is that the earth is never satisfied. It never gets enough water. It never drinks enough water. It's never satisfied with the rain. It's always thirsty. Uh, it doesn't matter how much it rains. Uh, it doesn't matter how, how much rain comes from the heavens. Uh, in just a matter of moments, uh, it's going to disappear below the sand. Uh, amen. You can't cultivate that stuff. Uh, you can't harness that stuff. Uh, amen. That ground, that earth there is constantly hungry. It's constantly greedy. It soaks up the rain. Doesn't, it doesn't ever stop and say, you know what? That's enough. The first item of the list is the grave. And when you first approach this list, it, you don't understand what's happening. It seems to be kind of odd. But what the, what the writer is saying is that death is never satisfied. The grave is never, listen, they're never going to hang a no vacancy sign on the fence at the graveyard. Amen? There's always going to be a grave uh, that's hungry for another victim. Uh, death has an insatiable appetite. Uh, every man will die. It's appointed under every man wants to die. But the grave will still not be satisfied. It's a fatalistic way of looking at death. We all are going to die. We're all touched by death. And, and death never stops and says, you know what? It's enough. Go ahead and empty out the sick ward. Take all the, the people home from the hospital. I just had all that I can stand. I'm satisfied. I'm full. It is enough. The grave never cries. It is enough. It's the second example on the list. 
that got a hold of my heart this week. Because the others make perfect sense to me. They are forces of nature. The grave, the earth, the fire. They are personified for the purpose of example. But we recognize they really don't have any feelings. The fire doesn't have an emotion. It doesn't have the ability to feel anything. We can say all day long that the fire is hungry, but the fire has no concept of hunger. It's an inanimate thing. It doesn't experience emotion. It can't cry out give. Uh, It doesn't have any kind of feeling attached to it. We can stay all day long that the ground uh, is thirsty, uh, but it's just an idiom. Uh, The ground doesn't know what thirst is. The ground doesn't understand uh, what it is to have a desire that is is unquenchable. We We can say that about the ground, but it doesn't understand it. And we can say that about the grave. We can say that it is constantly greedy. But the grave has no ability to possess the emotion or the desire that we put upon it when we personify it that way. But the second item on the list is different. It is also a thing personified. But it stands apart from everything else in the the list because it is used in Scripture. It has a unique identity. It is not a thing unto itself. It represents a a woman who has no child. Amen. While it is a thing personified, it is a thing that has genuine feelings. Amen. It is the the personification of a womb, but it represents a a barren wife. It represents a, a childless home. Amen. And that desire is a real desire. It's a tangible desire. It's a demonstrable desire. Because the woman who is consumed with her barrenness can find no satisfaction in anything else. Those are very real feelings. They're very real emotions. And the Bible is careful to demonstrate them to us. The Bible tells us several stories. There, There are at least six notable barren women in Scripture who produce children out of their barrenness. And I won't take the time to talk about all of them, but I do want to talk about two of them if we can. Rachel was the love of Jacob's heart. He loved her more than he loved her sister Leah. He labored 14 long years to make her his wife Uh, and no doubt he lavished her with both his time and his attention she was the apple of his eye Uh, she was the one that he loved Uh, but none of that mattered because Leah was fruitful and Rachel was barren it was the only thing that mattered There's a consistent theme throughout the Bible where fruitful women provoke barren women. And so it was with Leah and Rachel. There was much strife between them. Uh, Rachel was consumed with her barrenness and Leah constantly reminded her of it. Leah constantly brought it to her attention. Uh, She held it over her. She shamed her with her barrenness. 
No doubt Jacob reaffirmed his love for Rachel over and over and over again, but his love brought no comfort. Rachel was more beautiful than her, her sister, but her beauty, there was no satisfaction. She didn't look in the mirror and feel good about herself. Rachel was loved beyond measure, but all of the love was hollow and empty, all because of the terrible truth uh, that Rachel was barren, and the barren womb will never be satisfied. The barren womb will never say it's okay. It is enough. I don't really need a child. The barren womb is consumed with a desire to be fruitful. Listen, it took the joy out of her life. It robbed her of everything of value. Sweet fruit became bitter. The brilliant sunset went unnoticed. Singing fled from her and laughter was a stranger to her. Even her husband's love was not enough to soothe her troubled soul. If you want to understand the insatiable appetite of the barren womb, you have only to imagine Rachel. Her eyes are red from weeping. She's been crying for days. She hasn't left her, her tent in weeks now. Her hair is disheveled. Amen. She is empty. She's broken. She's thin as a rail because eating doesn't matter anymore. Amen. She stumbles into her husband's tent and her her voice is hoarse from all of the groaning and the crying and the weeping and the wailing and she can't take it anymore. And she cries out in despair. In Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1, the last portion, she said unto Jacob, Give me children. Give me children or else I will die. That's the desire of a barren womb. There are a lot of similarities between Rachel and another child, this woman named Hannah. Hannah's husband, Elkanah, had two wives just like Jacob had. But Hannah was his true love. Just like in Rachel's story, though, the other wife was a mother many times over. But Hannah had no children. And the fruitful wife delighted in reminding the barren wife, you may be more loved than I am. You may be more attractive than I am. You may possess more of his heart than I do, but you don't have any children. You can't give him an heir. And she provoked her until bitterness and barrenness consumed her. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6 says, and her adversary, that's the other wife, 
also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, the he there is her husband, not the Lord. It went she up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. So the other wife, the adversary, provoked her. And it says, therefore, she wept and did not eat. Let me tell you what a barren womb does. Uh, it drives you to weeping uh, and to fasting. Uh, it compels you to appeal uh, to the only one that can make a difference, uh, the only one that can open a barren womb. Uh, and with all of her heart, uh, Hannah begins to seek God. She understands, uh, amen, i got to push the plate away. I've got to make some time in my life. Uh, I've got to find a sacred place uh, to be separated under the Lord. Uh, I've got to spend some time in his presence uh, because I am desperate for an answer. He must hear my cry. Verse 10 says, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Bitterness of soul. That, that's a Hebrew phrase that was used to describe the mourning of a mother who lost her child. Hannah mourned for children that had never been born. Hannah mourned for babies she never rocked in her lap. Hannah mourned for kids her eyes had never seen. Her heart had loved. Her heart had desired. But she never, ever known them. But she mourned for them. And in her sorrow, she cried out to the Lord and wept sore. That word means to cry freely and profusely to weep and to wail. You've got to get an image of what a barren womb looks like. Amen. Its eyes are red-rimmed. Amen. Its body is frail and weak. Its hair is all kind of messed up. Amen. It doesn't care what anybody says. It doesn't care what anybody thinks. It's not concerned with how it looks. There's only one thing that matters to a barren womb. I must have children. Else I die. Somehow... On a Wednesday night, I want to impress upon you the unquenchable desire of the barren womb. Nothing else matters. When you realize your barrenness, nothing else will satisfy. Everything in life is consumed by desire to be fruitful. Verse 15 says, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, speaking to the prophet, nor to the, to the man of God, Eli. She said, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. He's accused her of being drunk. She says, I, I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. I'm a woman uh, of a sorrowful spirit. Uh, that speaks a great grief uh, and anguish. Uh, she had a troubled heart. Uh, she was provoked beyond comfort. Uh, she couldn't handle the fact uh, that she was barrenness. Uh, she had a sorrowful spirit. Uh, that's what I want you to get. Uh, the barren womb will not relent. It will not stop. It will not rest. It will not give up. It cannot be entertained. It cannot be satisfied. It cannot ever feel good until it has 
children. It's driven by sorrow and shame to cry out to the Lord, give me children. She poured out her soul before God. I want you to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. She prayed the kind of prayer that moves the foundation of heaven. The kind of prayer that demands an answer. She wasn't checking her phone every five minutes. She wasn't planning her her day uh, and what all was going to happen while she was trying to pray. Uh, Her mind didn't wander off uh, into the cares and the affairs uh, of this life. Uh, She didn't share uh, that sacred time of prayer with all the pressing concerns uh, of this life. Uh, Only one thing mattered. Uh, I must have children else I die. I'm talking about get down to business kind of prayer. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that says, I will not move. I will not leave. I'm not going anywhere until you hear my cry. She was consumed. The barren womb would not be silenced. Hannah prayed until words absolutely failed her. Then she kept on praying. When the preacher found her, she was in the altar, and her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. She had prayed until there just were no words left, uh, and her heart uh, just kept on crying out. Uh, She had prayed uh, so fervently that there was nothing left to say, uh, but still she lingered uh, in the presence of God, uh, and the preacher had never seen anything like it. He was convinced she was drunk, but she wasn't drunk. She was pouring out her soul to God. I'm going to tell you something about Hannah's prayer. It wasn't routine. It was desperate. She was gripped with grief. She was stunned with shame. She was bowed low in barrenness. And she was demanding an answer. Give me children or I die. That's the insatiable cry of the barren womb. It will not be satisfied. Nothing in this world can distract it from the fact that it has no children. For just a moment tonight, I want to talk to the church. After Sunday morning's message, I walked away from the pulpit with that thought about fruitfulness. Wouldn't let go of me. So Monday, I began to study a little more. I was, I was doing word studies and looking through some different things in Scripture. Tuesday, I, I got to thinking about the opposite of fruitfulness, and that's when I stumbled onto this Scripture. And when I read it, it sparked something in me. It stirred up a question, and it is a question that has haunted my soul all week long. How long will it be until the barren womb is provoked? How long will it be until heaven is shaken by our cry? How long will it be 
until we get serious about what we're here for. You see, Hannah and Rachel were provoked in their barrenness. They had adversaries that constantly made them aware of their fruitless condition. And their adversaries unwittingly awakened the cry of the barren womb within them. They shamed them into their despair. But we are different. We have an adversary that does not mock us in our barrenness. Instead, he encourages it. He's learned that if he can keep us distracted... If he can keep us consumed with the things of this life, uh, if he can dazzle us uh, with treasures uh, and drown us uh, in pleasures, uh, we'll never realize just how fruitless we really are. You see, I believe the devil learned some things from the pages of the Old Testament. I believe he learned that there is nothing good to be gained by provoking the barren to cry out to the Lord. So I believe he tries a different strategy with you and I. I believe he tries to keep you so entertained that you can't feel the despair. I believe he tries to keep you so comfortable that you can't realize your own emptiness. I believe that he tries to keep you so complacent and so concerned with the trivial things of this life that it never really crosses your mind. He has convinced us to be satisfied with the status quo. We're barren, and we don't even know it. Worse than that, we're barren, and it doesn't bother us. When will the barren womb cry out? My question is simple. How long will it be until we realize that revival will never come? Until tears are spilled on an altar? How long will it be until we realize that chains of bondage will not be broken? Until we travail in prayer. How long will it be until we realize prayerless worship is powerless? Prayerless preaching can't touch a soul. And a prayerless church will never see revival. How long until the barren womb awakes? How long until the cry of the childless rises up in the house of God and shakes the very foundations of heaven? Revival will not come. Until the barren womb wakes up. I believe it's high time that we were convicted. I believe it's high time that we were challenged. I believe it's high time that we were provoked. We need a provoker in our life. And that's what I come to this pulpit to do on a Wednesday night. I know, I know this is Sunday night kind of stuff. Uh, but I feel it so strong in my spirit. I can't wait for a Sunday night. God sent me here to provoke somebody. Uh, it's time to stir up uh, your old prayer bones. Uh, it's time to get back into a habit of, of fasting and prayer. It's time to become consumed.
time for the barren womb to wake up. Until we've wept like Hannah wept, we haven't realized our condition. Until we cry out in despair like Rachel did, we haven't even recognized yet just how unfruitful we are. Until our heart breaks and there's sorrow in the soul and we pour it out in the presence of the Lord and that unquenchable, insatiable desire grips us until nothing else matters. We haven't really realized what our condition really is. I'm not talking about five minutes of prayer then moving on to frivolous things. I get the feeling that Hannah prayed until hours turned into days. I get the feeling that Hannah's weeping never really stopped. It went on and on. That despair was never far from her. I get the feeling that there was no pleasure in her life as long as she was barren. When? When will we realize when will it occur to us? We are consumed with trivial things. We're wrapped up in stuff that has no eternal value at all. We're wrapped up in things that are going to burn one of these days. We invest ourselves, our time, our energy. We give everything we have to things that do not matter. While a lost world condemned to an eternity in hell, marches silently past our doors every single day. They drive up and down that street. They're hungry. They're desperate. They know their condition. They're looking for a church that will realize it. When will the barren womb wake up when will its passion be felt in the church when will it compel us into days of fasting and prayer when will it reach into the heavens until it opens the floodgates of revival I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you I'm telling you what I feel in my spirit I feel the Holy Ghost speaking I'm talking about a travail of the soul. How long has it been? How long will it take? How much time is going to pass until we've prayed and we've wept and we've fasted to the point that there are no longer any words to say that we've poured out our soul before God? How long? That's a question I don't have the answer to. But I can tell you this. However long that is, that's how long it will be until revival comes. Because that's the thing that brings revival. This is the message I bring from the throne of heaven. Heaven's waiting on the church. You have not because you ask not.
Seek, he said. Knock, he said. If you knock, he said, I'll open it. You know, God could open the door. He doesn't need me to knock. Oh, but he's waiting for me to cry out to him. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8 said, Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in a day? Or shall the nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. As soon as Zion travailed, Heaven was waiting in the wings. Uh, God was yearning to pour out His Spirit. Uh, the atmosphere was pregnant with potential. Uh, but it was all waiting on one thing. Uh, it was waiting on the cry of the barren womb. And as soon as Zion cried out, she brought forth her children. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm stirred in my spirit. But stirred is not enough if it doesn't drive us to an altar. I'm stirred up, but stirred is not enough if it doesn't disrupt our lives. Stirred is not enough if the barren womb is not provoked. I come to this pulpit tonight to provoke you. It's high time that we wake up uh, the barren womb. Uh, it's high time uh, that we recognize uh, this is what we're here for. It is time to passionately invite the Lord to trouble our spirits. It's time to passionately Invite the Lord to awaken the cry of the barren womb. How long will we be satisfied in our barrenness? How long will we be complacent in our fruitlessness? How long will we ignore the fact that our altars are empty and our baptistry is growing stagnant? How long until the cry of newborn believers shatters the silence of our altars. How long will it be? Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Perhaps one of the most familiar, probably the most familiar scripture in all the Bible that deals with prayer. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. If we will, then he will. If we will humble ourselves. I'm going to tell you how you humbled yourself in the Old Testament. By fasting. That's how you humble yourself. When we fast and when we pray, when we cry out to Jesus, uh, we're taking a step in the right direction. Uh, but he doesn't stop there. Uh, he steps into another dimension when he says, uh, uh, not just pray, uh, but seek my face. Now we're getting to where Hannah was. Now we're getting to where Rachel was. Now we're getting to that place where we move the very hand of God because we seek his face. We want to skip right over the next part and go to then I will hear from heaven. 
but it says, and turn from their wicked ways. We need to repent. We, we need to repent for our complacency. We need to repent for our satisfaction. We need to repent for the fact that we didn't even, we don't even know just how it really feels for the barren womb to cry out. We need to pour out our soul on an altar before God. We need to travail in our spirit. You need to find a place all by yourself and shut yourself away in a prayer closet somewhere and you need to cry out from the depth of despair. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for my complacency. Forgive me for my inconsistency. Forgive me for my shallow way of seeing things. Uh, forgive me, Lord, uh, for being consumed uh, with things don't matter. He said, then, then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive their sins. Then I'll heal their land. If we'll humble ourselves, we'll seek his face. If we'll cry out, he will hear and he will work. And he will do what only he can do. It's time. It's time to wake up the barren womb. It's time to be stirred from our complacency. Because great things come forth from barren wombs. Just stand with me. Some of the greatest men in the Bible were born to barren women. Sarah was barren until she was 90 years old. She gave birth to Isaac. Rachel's heart-rending cry, Give me children or I die, brought forth Joseph who delivered his people. Manoah's barren wife gave birth to Samson who also delivered the nation. Hannah, that smitten soul after she sobbed in the sanctuary and vowed vows and continued in prayer and ignored Eli's scorn and poured out her soul, received her answer from the Lord and gave birth to Samuel, who was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets, mightily used of God. The barren and widowed Ruth found mercy and love in the arms of Boaz. And she who was barren gave birth to Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, from whose lineage comes Jesus Christ. Elizabeth was stricken in years and barren. But at the word of God, she gave birth uh, to a man called John uh, the Baptist. Uh, and Jesus said of him, uh, there was no greater prophet ever born of a woman. All of it happened. Because somewhere along the way, the barren womb was provoked. I'm going to tell you what hell wants right now. Hell wants somebody to be offended at what I've just said. Hell wants somebody to push it aside and 
Maybe be stirred for just a few minutes and then let it go. Already putting a plan in place to take you back to your comfortable state. To take you back to your complacent state. To rob away from you whatever passion you may be feeling in the Holy Ghost right now. But let me tell you what heaven wants. Heaven's looking for people who will humble themselves. Seek his face. Turn from their wicked ways. Cry out to him from the depth of their soul. Give us children. Give us revival. Or else we die. How long will it be? This could be that day. This could be that service. It'd be easy right now to call you to a place of prayer. and We'd all gather in our little corners. And we would all pray our little prayers. I feel something different. Wife and I talked about this this week. And I just feel like you need to pray like you've never prayed before. And there's some things that need to be poured out before the Lord that really need to be done in a private place, a, a sacred place in your home before the Lord shut away with him. You need to be provoked beyond five minutes of prayer on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. You need to be provoked beyond a single service. So this is what I want to do. I want to ask man to go to a man and a woman to go to a woman and I want you to pray for one another that God would stir up that God would wake up barren wombs that God would awaken a cry within us I want you to take one pray for the other and then the other I want you to take moment take turns you sit there and you listen and you agree with the person that's praying for you. And then you allow them to listen and agree while you pray for them.